0: Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade.
1: Thank you so much, and welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you sustain yourself and your wealth for 30-plus years. On today's show, we're gonna be discussing how to determine which stocks are right for you. The answer just might surprise you. Also, the four flavors of tax and what you can expect when you retire. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and President of Adrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always
1: glad to hear that, Brian. Of course, I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. Brian, we've discussed for years the importance of your portfolio diversified among six different markets, specifically cash, equities, bonds, insurance products, real estate, and alternatives. Equities, as in stocks, seem to be an important part of most portfolios. Can you break down some strategies used when considering the equities side of the portfolio?
2: Yeah, that's a, a big area. I think the second biggest, pretty sure the second biggest area, bonds are actually the biggest. A lot of people, you've heard this on my show before, but the bond market, whether it's government bonds, I mean, think about how much money governments borrow, foreign government bonds corporate bonds, municipal, all these different kinds of bonds out there. So bonds are loans uh, that pay interest to entities, corporates, or, or governments. That's the biggest area of the market. Second biggest is the value of equities. You know, when we talk about equities, we're talking about stock market. And there's a lot of stocks out there on the publicly traded stock market, thousands uh, in fact. But what a lot of people don't understand is when you buy an index or something, and, and that's a common term for buying a basket of stocks, When you buy an index, you're buying the most of the biggest and the least of the smallest. So you might have $100,000 in an index and you just bought several thousand dollars of Microsoft and NVIDIA and Amazon and, and so forth, Apple, and you think, well, but I have a whole bunch of money in, in those thousandth biggest company or whatever. No, it's about a dollar. <laughs> it's just not much. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. move the needle. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a dollar, but it's, it's not much. It might be $10, it might be something small like that. So if that stock moves, your investment really doesn't move very much at all. So investing in the markets, most most people it's not just which stock. I mean there's so many different ways to do it. You could be a stock picker mm-hmm. and buy a couple individual or just one individual stock. And I do want to talk about where you have a, a heavy weight in your portfolio in one stock or two stocks. You could be somebody that is an indexer whether it's mutual funds or ETFs, you could be uh, somebody that picks by sectors, somebody that tries to time the market, somebody shorts the market, mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody's an international investor or domestic investor, somebody that's really focused on growth stocks versus value stocks or high dividend, high yield stocks. So I'm, I'm already throwing a whole bunch of terms out there. Going, well, wait a second, in the stock market, just a stock market? Well. Well, not necessarily. There's all these different avenues. And I'm just, those are just the 40,000 foot view areas of the markets. There's so many subsectors and all that stuff to, to look at, too. So, oh, and then there's the analysis of your gains and your taxation on them and when you sell and when you buy and, and so forth. And just the emotion around it, uh, which I'd like to talk about a little bit, too.
1: Brian, with so many different ways to pick stocks, can you discuss the fundamental analysis that you should do when trying to determine which stocks might be right for your portfolio?
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at it from a, let's start with that, Jeff, we'll kind of break this down a little bit because let's say that it's individual stocks. And one of my favorite things to talk about with individual stocks is some people come to me and they say, I've got this stock and I own a lot of it and I'm not sure whether I should hang on to it. So that's where a fundamental analysis would begin. And so the reason that a stock goes up in value long term is because of earnings. And it's not necessarily current earnings. It may be future expected earnings. But earnings drive stock prices in the long run. And so tech stocks go up, even though maybe they're not a bargain today, but we think the earnings are going to go up in the future. Okay. So that would be a reason to buy a tech stock, but we want to look at the fundamental and that can be measured by the price earnings ratio. How much are you paying for every dollar of earnings? Well, if you buy a lot of tech stocks, you're paying $50 for every dollar they earn. If you buy an energy stock, you might be paying $10 for every dollar they earn. And you go, well, I can get five times as much earnings with the energy stocks, right? That's a good thing. Well, it is now, but you know what's the growth of earnings going to be? So we start with an analysis of their earnings and then add to that their projected earnings. You know, That's called the PEG ratio, price earnings over growth. And so that's, that's a basic fundamental. There's only about 500 different fundamentals we can look at, but mm. let's just grab the two primary ones that I would look at. And I can even tell you what the forward price earnings ratio of every single Sector is going forward. In fact, the energy sector currently is about 10x. So you're paying 10 times earnings, whereas technology sector might be closer to 28 times projected earnings so it's it's an expensive sector but it also can be the high growth sector so we can do some of that fundamental analysis talking about an individual stock one of the things i love to ask which just melts people's brains sometimes is i i have this stock it was worth a lot once and now it's down and i can't sell it because i need it to get back up to where it was i'm like what do you mean you can't sell it well i don't want to take a loss I'm like well, you already have a loss. <laughs> it's already lost that money. It's it's worth what it's worth. Yeah, but it was worth a hundred thousand once. Now it's only worth forty. So I I, ca- I can't sell it, and I don't want to take a loss. I'm like, well, that's a mental thing. And, and I always ask this question. I said, if you did not own that stock and you had forty thousand dollars in the bank, would you call me up and say, Brian, I need to buy this stock? And they say, absolutely not. Why would I? Do- no, I hate this stock. I said, well, that's what you're telling me right now, because we could turn that 40,000 stock into 40,000 in your bank account with no fee, and you could be exactly where I just said you would have been, and they're like, wait a second, but I can't sell it, I'll have a loss. And again, you already have a loss. Do you want the 40,000 in the bank or do you want it in that stock right now? If you had a choice and you didn't own either, you, know, you had 40,000 and you buy that stock or not buy the stock, would you buy it? Heck like, no, I said, then why are you holding it? <sighs> <laughs> that's So it's it's an interesting thing to walk someone through. And I do it you know, nicely, of course. But that's one of the things we have to analyze when we're looking at our stock picks that we've made. Sometimes you look at it and go, huh, I really don't want to own some of these stocks. Why am I still in them? And then we got to look at the tax ramifications, of course, and growth ramifications. But if that's you, then you might have a portfolio that huh, let's just offer a fresh perspective. Do I want these stocks? Do I want other stocks? Do I want less stocks? Do I want stuff that's going to do other things for me? Mm-hmm. Maybe I have too much in stocks or in a couple stocks and I want some security or some cash flow or some diversification, real diversification outside of the market. All these questions be asked, but it kind of often starts with an analysis of individual stocks.
1: So, Brian, you pick the stocks that you're comfortable with. You accept the losses and you're comfortable with the gains, right? So it that simple?
2: Well, no, <laughs> there's a lot more to it because I mean, if you have an individual stock portfolio and let's say you're picking it yourself, and that's fine. If you want to do that, that's fine. I'm generally talking about your retirement plan. So, not just a, a side account that you, you know, there's a couple stocks you like. And I always encourage that. I wrote about that once in a book that, you know, have your play account, pick your own stocks, but maybe that's not your retirement plan because what if you're wrong? You know, you can't go back to work when you're 80 years old. And ex- you know, how are you going to explain that to your spouse? You ruined your retirement because you thought you were smart about picking stocks well, when somebody 's picking their own stocks, unless they have real industry knowledge about a particular company, maybe they've worked there or whatever, I get that, but if somebody 's just picking stocks, basically what you 're doing is you 're saying, "I am smarter than the rest of the world because the rest of the world I, I just uh, mentioned about indexes, the most of the biggest company well, why are they the biggest? Well, because all the people in the world feel like they're worth what they're worth. You know, that's the market value at any given time is because 50% of the people that invest in stock markets think it's undervalued and 50% think it's overvalued. That's its equilibrium price is whatever it's trading at. So when you say, I'm not going to buy an index or an ETF or something that's market cap driven, you're saying I'm smarter than everybody else. I'm smarter than Wall Street. I'm smarter than Fidelity. I'm smarter than all, all the companies out there. I know better. And maybe you are, maybe you know better, but I'm just kind of poking some holes in this saying, yeah, maybe you aren't. And the less holdings you have and the less money you have spread out, the more risk you're taking. If that's okay with you, then do that. Most of my clients that I talk to are pre-retirement or post-retirement and are not interested in taking maximum risk or then, I mean, if the stock market wasn't risky enough in the first place, now we're going to increase that risk even more by getting rid of the shared opinion through indexing and saying, no, I am going to increase my personal risk by buying individual shares of stocks. And that is more risky than buying a fund like an ETF. An exchange-traded fund, an ETF, is a combination of different stocks. You could buy an ETF of the S&P 500 or whatever, an index. You could buy sectors, often they're used for sectors. Let's say I wanted the technology sector. I could just buy a market cap weighted index of the technology sector. I'll own every single tech stock I've ever heard of. I'll own Nvidia, I'll own Google, I'll own Amazon, all these kinds of things. They're in the tech industry, I will own all of them. I don't have to pick which one of them is better than the rest and hope for the best. And then you can go to subsectors. I just want semiconductor stocks. All right, buy the ETF of semiconductor stocks. And then you'll own all those companies. And so that is something that we do here at Madrona. We do a lot of subsectors. I rarely see any uh, portfolio where they're consistently picking the individual stock amongst a group of similar companies or s- similar sectors of the market and outperforming on an individual basis. But you certainly can outperform on a sector basis. You might say, well, I. I want a more aggressive portfolio, so I want more technology, communication services, and less consumer staples and utilities and concerned about the healthcare and publicly traded REITs, but I don't mind private non-traded REITs and, and you know, et cetera. So the analysis can get pretty complicated there, but you asked Jeff about just buying, holding, and hoping for the best. Right. You know, the bigger picture on that is that is what most people do. You're probably going to do okay if you hold it for a very, very long time and never touch it. Most people, though, that we work with in retirement have to touch their investments. They want money to live on. It's their lifestyle plan. If their money's in the stock market, and most or all of it's in the stock market, we've just lost our ability to come back when markets go down. Do they go down? Hmm, let me think about that, like all the time. You know, they're going to have a massive drop every maybe seven years on average or whatever that might be. We just had one last year and people pulling that money out of their account are never going to get that back. And if the market dropped twenty percent on them and they pulled five percent out, now they're down a quarter after you know one year in retirement, going, uh oh. <laughs> Houston, we got a problem here. And it all boils down to how you diversified to the market within the market. Did you use individual stocks and pick right, pick wrong? Did you pick the Washington Mutual when you should have picked the you know something else? I mean, I've got too many stories of destroyed retirement plans because just a, an improper approach to and it's not so much improper it's not that it's bad an improper uh, alignment of your goals and where you're at in life to what you're actually doing with your investments. It's about that alignment. Am I aligned to a lifestyle that I wanna live with a particular cash flow, with a particular risk strategy? And I think that the industry has really failed a lot of people on that. They're not making that alignment properly. It's not about just buying a stock and trying to be the richest person. And if you miss, oh, well, I'll just go back to work. That's not probably what you want. And so uh, really it's about the alignment.
1: Brian, this is a great and valuable conversation we're having here, but before we keep going, I wanna take a moment and invite our listeners to give us a call so that they can request their rooted wealth analysis so that they can potentially prevent over-allocating their equities and move into a more suitable equities diversification strategy. If you're listening to us right now and you wanna review the equities in your portfolio, then give us a call at 833-673-7373 and request your rooted wealth analysis. That number once again is 833-673-7373. It's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be just what you need to help achieve your financial goals. Now, you must have at least $500,000 or more in investable assets to qualify. And those who call and are qualified as a bonus will also be sent Brian's new book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement at No Cost. That number one more time is 833-673-7373. That's 833-673-7373. Brian, you've given us a lot of great information about stocks here. What do you do if you have one stock with a large capital gain?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great topic because a lot of people, in, especially in the Pacific Northwest, they might have a lot of Microsoft. They might have a lot of Amazon. And I can go on and on. But you know what I'm talking about, or you just worked at a company, Boeing, you know, whatever it is. And certainly, if you've been taking stock options over the years or buying it, maybe you bought it a long time ago, you have really big gains in that. And so, sometimes it's in your retirement plan, sometimes it's not. I'll start with the non-retirement plan stock holdings here. It's often brought up as, well, I love this company. I've done really well. I made a lot of money. Maybe I shouldn't be this heavy in it now that I'm you know, looking at a retirement plan. I'm like, OK, that's, that's reasonable. But how do I get out? I don't want to sell it. What do I do? Like, well, you don't have to sell all of it. One of the beautiful things about the stock market, as opposed to your small business, if I sell my business, I got to sell it. You know, if if I want to sell Microsoft stock and I own 10,000 shares, I can sell 10 shares. I can sell 100, I can sell 1,000. You know, I, I have a choice. I can break it down into tiny little pieces. And so, you know, one of the easy things that I can look at is, I, uh, let's start with what not to do. If you had a big holding in one particular stock, probably don't want to sell it all at once. And you probably don't want to anyway, because one of the things, that I look at with the stock market and when you have a big holding like that is there's some emotional connection to that too. You know, you've had it a long time and it's done well for you. And so if we look back at how we build our 401k plans, we often do that through something called dollar cost averaging. We're putting money in every two weeks and sometimes we're buying the stock market when it's high, sometimes low, but over time it kind of works itself out. The stock market goes up and then we find out, wow, I've got a lot more than I ever put in. Well, you can dollar cost average out of a stock. And so one of the easiest things to do, let's say you have a huge holding in the millions and you'd say, well, if I sell it, I just asked my accountant, and he said, I'd be at over 30% bracket and that's terrible. And I say, yeah, you've got the 15% capital gains. Oh, wait, no, it's 20 because you have a high dollar sale. Oh, wait, no, that's 23.8. Oh, no, state of Washington's has passed capital gains tax, another seven, now you're 30.8. That's terrible. It'd be very easy for me to look at your tax return and, and give it to one of my CPAs here and say, tell me how much they could sell And have it be avoid the Washington capital gains tax, avoid the net investment interest tax of 3.8%, avoid the 5% surcharge and get us down all to the 15% bracket. And they'd say, OK, it's it's X amount they could sell per year at, at 15%. And sometimes I presented that to people and they go, oh, my gosh, that is so perfect. I'm going to pay the lowest capital gains bracket. I'm not going to volunteer money to the state on top of that. I'm going to dollar cost average out of the stock over time and feel good about that and know that, OK, I'm not always selling at the peak, but who knows when the peak is. I'm not selling at the trough. And I'm going to sell at different times and I'm going to diversify them you know, when I sell it, I'm going to diversify into something that isn't this stock so that if it has a tough go, I, you know, I'm pulling money out. I'm I'm not damaging my retirement account. So that can be a, an excellent answer to somebody. You know, that's just the basic, that's the 101 of a concentrated stock position that I shared with you, Jeff. And I don't want to go 201, 301 on the radio. I put people to sleep and I'll drive off the road and all that stuff. But you know, that, that is the basic analysis of where it starts is by looking at it from that aspect and offering a solution that you can do over time. You don't have to decide, oh, I have to be all in or all out. Well, no, we can have a plan. And that's what I love about this. It's, it's all about having a plan for a successful retirement.
1: Brian, do stock allocations change over time? What I
2: mean by that is a 40-year-old versus
1: a 60-year-old versus an 80-year-old.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's where retirement plans just can uh, essentially blow up. I mean, really, if you're looking at your, it's kind of like exercise. If I have the same exercise routine when I'm 20 years old as I do when I'm 60, I probably have a problem. I probably have some pulled hamstrings <laughs> and some issues because I, I can't do what I, I did and I shouldn't be doing what I did at that. Same with stock market. When you're 20 and so forth, please have a concentrated stock position in something you believe in And or or 30 or 40. You know, that's great. You can concentrate. You're, you're working. You know, be smart about it. But as you get older, things change. Your priorities change. When you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, as we know, it's grow, grow, grow. You don't, you don't care about cash flow from your investments. You're working. You got cash flow. You don't care about security. You get up every day and earn, earn more money. Mm-hmm. You don't need the security. Tax savings, you really don't have a lot of options because you're, you're not in charge of, of when things are taxed. You don't have annuities to turn on or social security decisions to make or stocks with big gains you know, to, to consider. But when you're in your you know, late 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, yeah, you have all of those and your priorities change. Most clients I come in, the order priority is this, cash flow is first, security is second, and growth is third. Stocks are not good at cash flow and security. They aren't as good as many, many other things that we can pick from. So generally it's about, okay, what is a proper balance of my stocks? And then of course, all those things we've just been talking about. How do we do that? How do we buy them in the right way? Do we use ETFs? How do we use sectors? How do we get out of concentrated stock positions? What are the tax implications? So forth. But certainly, I think the biggest problem that I'm seeing and the reason people have a one couple has a successful retirement, the other not so successful financially that have maybe the same financial outlook when they came in is they haven't reviewed this. They haven't adjusted it. They haven't checked it, looked at it in the way that I'm talking about in this, this segment here they have not done the analysis to say, has anything changed? Have I changed? Have I gotten older? The answer is probably yes. Has my spouse gotten older? Mm, probably yes. Has my priority changed? Maybe, maybe not. But since the last time you did an in-depth analysis, if ever, and a lot of people come in, they, they just haven't. They've been working. They've been throwing money in their 401k in their house and their, at their kids and all this stuff. And they decide one day, I, I need this looked at. Well, that's what we do here. So we certainly do that a lot. But yeah, I'd say, Jeff, the biggest problem is just not paying attention to it, not doing that critical deep dive that I'm talking about doing in this segment here.
1: Brian, hopefully we all know that equities have risk. You can lose money. Can you talk about timing and expectations?
2: Yeah, as we talked about, there are various areas you can invest in, six different areas. We're focusing on the equities piece right now and how that aligns with your actual plan. So generally with equities, the one thing that really trips people up, I think, is the timing of when they need the money. As we've talked about on this show, we're not saying put all your money in equities or take all, all of it out of equities. Neither one. We think that they're an important tool in a toolbox and are an important part of the growth and liquidity aspects of anybody's retirement plan. However, if you're not matching up when you need that money, they are probably one of the most volatile sectors, if not the volatile sector of the six major areas you can put your money. So let's say, for instance, you have a a need for cash in six months or, or a year or whatever and you think, well, I'm just going to put my money in the market and hope for the best. I should make money. Markets go up, right? Oh, I I can tell you countless times. I've talked to people that did that and oops, something went really bad and they needed the money for something. It wasn't there anymore. So their hopes and dreams got squashed or maybe their retirement plan and so forth. So matching that up. And and I think the biggest takeaway on the stock market is it can be very good if you're putting it into the right way. And let's say you're using exchange-traded funds and sector funds and doing proper diversification within the equities markets and you have the proper mix between U.S. and foreign and small and large cap, all that stuff. If you have that and you hold it for a long period of time, statistically, you're doing quite well. The problem occurs is when you're taking it out, whether you're taking it out on a monthly, quarterly or annual basis on the short term, when you knew you you were going to take it out, yet you left it in the market and the market was volatile and the market went down or, or it did whatever it did and your timing was just is not awesome. One of the things that comes up, people come to me and say, yeah, I want to invest my money for a couple of years. Can I invest with you in the market? And I said, no. What do you mean? You won't take my money? I'm like, no, stock markets are not a two-year thing. I literally won't take somebody's money for two years to put it in the market. I don't think that's wise. If you wanna do that yourself, that's fine. You know, Especially when you have a goal for that in two years, I wouldn't do that. I'd do something else with it, safe money, You know, that I know is gonna be there for the purpose that, that you have. So again, aligning that and making sure that your stock market equities part is not your checking account also. <laughs> yeah, I guess is one way to put it. It's not your retirement income source by selling principal, by selling stocks uh, every month to fund, to your retirement. That's probably not a great plan. There are, there are other areas that we certainly can use for that.
1: Once again, Brian, great information for all those who are listening to us and you want to review the equities in your portfolio so that you're not taking more risk than necessary. Listen up. This is for you. I want you to dial 833-673-7373 right now and request a rooted wealth analysis at no cost. You must have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify. When you call, you'll get a friendly voice on the other end of the line who will gather some basic information so that your local trusted Madrona advisor from Madrona Financial and CPAs will be able to call you back early next week. This analysis is just an open conversation intended to help you uncover financial blind spots or what we like to call shallow roots and help you discover potential solutions so that you can better diversify the equities within your portfolio. Remember, even the mightiest of trees can fall if their roots aren't deep enough. That's why the Rooted Wealth Analysis is so very important to you. We can help you grow deeper financial roots so that you're better prepared for future financial storms. Now, as a bonus, qualified callers will also receive a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement at No Cost. Call Madrona Financial and CPAs right now and request your Rooted Wealth Analysis. That number once again, 833-673-7373. That's 833-673-7373. One call can make all the difference. If you're just joining us, this is Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. I'm Jeff Shade, and we just finished discussing how to determine which stocks are right for you. The answer may surprise you. If you want to hear the show all over again, don't worry. We're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. You'll get this show and weekday takeaways so that you can stay on top of your wealth and how to grow it. We're going to take a quick break when we come back we'll be discussing the four flavors of tax and what you can expect when you retire stay tuned
0: growing your wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come tired of only getting half the story That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome
2: back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about the four flavors of tax and what you can expect when you retire.
1: Brian, I think a lot of people think that tax season is over, but to my mind, tax season is every day. Every day we should be making decisions about taxes. What do you think people get wrong about tax minimization and tax planning all year round?
2: Well, first off, I don't think my CPAs here at Madrona Financial <laughs> CPAs think it's over. No. <laughs> they got extensions all the way through October 15th, and right. then they're doing year in tax planning through the end of the year. And then it's January, and guess what? It's tax season starting all over again. So, yeah, it doesn't go away. It should be year round, of course, for us. And uh, it doesn't have to be year round for a person, but it it's always should be part of the planning process. So, if you're doing any planning at any time, then taxes should be part of that planning. And frankly, that's probably the major reason I got into this industry in the first place. I didn't go to college to become a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. That is not what I intended to do. I went to college to become a certified public accountant, and I was doing just fine in that world. So fine that I was a partner of a firm until my clients you know, that that really needed what I had relating to their investments. They needed the tax angle looked at, and they weren't getting it. And so I saw this big need out there, filled it, became a registered investment advisor back in 1999. And the rest is history. And so we've been bringing the the combination of of that together. So I'm looking forward to talking about the taxes here. Some of the funny things that I hear people say, though, uh, a lot of people will just say, well, it doesn't matter what they pay for that. It's just tax deductible anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, No, you should care about it because a tax deduction does not give you your money back. It may give a portion, it may not. Something can be tax deductible and you spend 10,000 on it and you say, well, Brian, how much do I get for the 10,000 of charitable donations I just made this year back from the government? I say, zero, you don't itemize. I'm like, what do you mean? They said it was tax deductible. I'm like, well, it is, but your benefit is nothing. Oh, well, that's not getting my 10,000 back. No, it's not, you know. One of my favorite stories, though, is when I was a CPA, I would have people come in literally and say, I pay too much in taxes, I'm getting killed on taxes. I'm looking at their tax return, I, I didn't necessarily agree, but okay, you're getting killed on taxes, what do you want from me? I wanna get rid of my taxes, I need more deductions. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> okay, well, you made $50,000 and, and I, I have answered it this way, or $100,000, yeah. you know, how do I get out of paying tax on that? Well, I could write you up a accounting prep fee for your 1040 here for $100,000, you give me that 100000 you won't pay any tax because you won't have any net profit. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, well, that's one way to get rid of your taxes, don't make any money, or if you do, make sure you spend it on, a, on deductible stuff. Problem is, you don't have enough to go to the grocery store and buy anything to eat you know, so the goal is not to have zero taxes. And it, it just cracks me up when people say they, they need more deductions. I'm like, what does that even mean? You flush 10,000 down the drain so you can get $1,200 or $1,500 back from the IRS. That is not growing your wealth. Uh, maybe there's another station you should be listening to yeah. if that's what you think. So, you know, just a misunderstanding of, of what a deduction is and what it's worth to me. And deductions are not the same. Just like, uh, I don't know, I'll do a car analogy. You you say you have a car. Well, I don't know if you have a a Smart or a Porsche. Mm -hmm. Well, they're both cars. They both have four wheels. You hit Mm -hmm. the gas, it goes forward and all that stuff, but they're not the same car. Whereas somebody else might say, well, I have have a deduction. All right, well, is it worth zero, 15%, 20, 22, 24, 32? Is it worth 39.6? I don't even know until I look at everything else. So not everybody's deductions are even worth the same. And I am having started talking about uh, tax credits, tax deferrals, tax-free, depreciation recapture, marginal brackets. There's there's all these r- basic terms that, that need to be defined. And I, I do want to spend a little bit of time on a recapture. is one of the things I just brought up.
1: And, Brian, you made a very good point there about itemizing. People don't realize that you can take the standard deduction or you can itemize, but you can't do both. And for example, married, filing jointly, surviving spouses, that standard deduction is $27,700 in 2023. So if your deductions are not over that, it doesn't make any sense to itemize. But let's get back to the four flavors of tax. We've talked about the tax deductions. Let's talk about tax credit. What is it and when does it usually apply?
2: Well, as I just mentioned with the tax deductions, it could be 0% benefit to you. It could be close to 40%. It depends on what the rest of your tax return looks like. With a tax credit, this is an interesting one too, because people say, well, I I did this, you know, bought this solar XYZ or bought this electric something, something, and, and it qualified for a tax credit. And I looked up tax credits and they are a dollar for dollar return. So when I get a dollar tax credit, the IRS sends me that dollar back. So that truly is free money, right? Well, no, tax credits are generally a percentage of something else. Maybe that tax credit is a 20% credit on a certain amount of money. Maybe it's a certain dollar amount max. So if you spend 50,000, you get 2000 tax credit. Okay. Yeah. The 2000, when it goes on your return is 2000. So you get that money right back. But if it's two thousand on fifty thousand, that's four percent of the fifty thousand. So you know, I was like, "Well, that's not fifty thousand back for spending fifty, is it?" Yeah, that'd be great if we had 100% tax credit out there. You know, back when I started public accounting, there was something called the investment tax credit. So businesses that were buying equipment could get 10% of that back from the IRS when they bought the equipment and then depreciate the rest. So it was trying to spur the economy after the malaise of the 70s and into the 80s and 90s. And then they did away with that. But that was, you know, it was 10%, but that was still pretty sizable when you're talking businesses. But there's a myriad of tax credits out there, whether they're child care credits or or different things. Most of them are just a percentage, unless we're talking about the earned income credit, but most people listening to this show are not getting that. But credits are dollar for dollar, but they're generally severely limited by something, either a maximum dollar amount or a percentage of what you actually paid out of pocket.
1: So we talked about tax deductions and tax credits. Let's talk about tax deferred. What is that and when does it usually apply?
2: That's a big area that people, you know, in in my industry, whether it's CPA world or investment world, tax deferral, tax deferral. This is awesome. I was like, wait a second. Okay, it can be if, if we take this a step further and talk step up in basis someday and so forth. But just the term tax deferral, what does that word mean? Defer. Okay. does it mean I get money back? Does it mean a credit? No, it means you're going to pay the tax. You're just putting it off. I'm like, okay, well, that's a good thing. Time value of money and all that. And like, yeah, sometimes it can be. But here's where, where it's not. So here's a big problem with, with people I've talked about that maybe you're buying real estate. And they, well, why are you buying the uh, rental houses? Is that something you like to do? I'm like, no, but I need the tax deduction. I'm like, oh, so you need that. And, and you want to lower your taxes? Yeah, uh, there's great big tax benefits. I get to take depreciation on my rental. I was like, well, yes you do, but you realize you're going to pay that back someday. And they're like, huh? I'm like, yeah, when you take depreciation, you track it, the whole life of that asset. And unless you have a step up in basis or do a Delaware statutory trust or something, when you sell that, you get to add up all of the depreciation you took from day one, lump it all together, all in one tax year. And you might have been deducting it when your marginal rate was zero or 10 or 12. And you go, okay, I'll pay that 10 or 12 or 15% back, right, Brian? No, you bunched it all up in the year of sale. That made it put it all at a higher bracket than you ever got credit for in all those years. You know, wait a second, I only got X amount of benefit from the IRS and now I'm paying them back 3X because I'm selling it all at once? Yes, so real estate people, if you have real estate that you're selling, you've been bunching up something that you're gonna pay back the IRS all at once unless you do a 1031 exchange, a 1031 exchange until a Delaware statutory Trust, have a step up in basis, those kinds of situations but it can be a ticking time bomb that you actually, gosh, that deferral actually cost me more money because I deferred it all to one tax year. And we know when you put a lot of income into one tax year, that taints all of your income for that year and puts you much more money at your highest marginal tax bracket.
1: So, Brian, if I'm hearing you correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, the benefit of tax deferral or one of the reasons that you might want to tax defer things is that you're putting them into a different tax bracket. You could pay less in taxes or maybe even more.
2: Yeah, then that's, you know, let me use my own example of putting into my 401k plan. Now, I'm not going to say don't put money into a 401k plan. I'm just going to say you might want to consider the Roth part here because tax-free is our next topic. Right. But I was doing deductible 401k contributions because there was no Roth around at the time uh, when I was early in my career and my tax bracket was probably 10%. So I, I got 10% back. Well, when I start taking that money out, my bracket's 40 And so I was putting money away, getting 10% back, and I deferred it, it's in my retirement account, and when I pull that money out of my retirement account, the IRS says, yeah, now we want 40%. I'm like, wow, that stinks. I should pay it back at 10, because uh, I I only got 10 when I put it in in the first place, and nope, that's just not how it works. Now, how to put it in a Roth, I don't get anything at the start. I didn't get my even my ten percent, but I don't pay it back at forty. I pay it back at zero, and so that's why I say if you're if you're young listening to this, or even if you're not so young, consider putting money into your Roth four hundred one k over your deductible four hundred one k if you think your bracket in retirement is going to be higher than it was when you're you know is when you're working, and considering time value of money and all that stuff. There's more to consider there, but that tax deferral it sounded like a good idea at the time because I'm like, well, I'm, when I retire, I'll be in a nothing bracket, right? Well, no, I worked hard and I did well in my career. So I'm, I'm going to be in the 40% bracket in my retirement or higher. I don't know what tax rates are going to be in the future. I know they're not going down. <laughs> Jeff, I'm pretty sure about yeah, that statement. Yeah, exactly. Uh, generally on the show, we <laughs> do not try and predict the future, but that's one I can probably get uh, sign up for is I think tax <laughs> rates are going to go up in the future rather than down.
1: And Brian, this is such a valuable conversation about taxes, you being a certified public accountant. But let me borrow a phrase, if you will, from the movie Jerry Maguire. You said it earlier, but Brian, you had me at tax-free. Can you explain (laughs) tax-free? That's the jackpot.
2: That is the jackpot. So tax free is awesome. And so that can be, again, your Roth uh, doing Roth conversions. You, you volunteer some tax now so that future gains are tax free. Step up in basis. And I, I don't generally recommend you, you go out and go, I'm going to get me a step up in basis. What do I need to do? That sounds awesome. All my gains are eliminated all at once. Well, you have to die or your spouse has to die, but you know, we're all mortal. And so that needs to be part of the planning. Can you, you know, people literally get out of paying tax on millions of dollars of gains by holding the particular assets until either spouse passes away. The first spouse to pass in the state of Washington, we get the double step up in basis. So that's certainly part of estate planning right there. We talk a lot about on the show about, uh, if you own real estate, you've got that ticking time bomb, a depreciation recapture from a tax deduction that you're just deferring to pay back someday unless you keep doing 1031 exchanges. And if you don't want to be a landlord, do a Delaware statutory trust exchange. And then you can avoid paying the tax. You defer it, you defer it, you defer it. Uh, Eventually somebody passes away. And now when somebody passes away and you own, let's say you have different kind of Delaware statutory trust real estate properties, then all the depreciation you took while you owned your original real estate and all of the gains from your original real estate and all of the new depreciation from your DSTs and all of the gains from those DSTs, all of that taxable income evaporates permanently at the time of the date of the first death of a spouse or at your passing before it goes to your spouse as an heir or as your children as heirs or charities as heirs or whatever it goes. But you get a step up in basis and no one will ever pay any income tax on, again, all the depreciation when you owned it, all the gains when you owned your original property, then the DSTs you exchanged into when they have additional depreciation or appreciation, they went up in value. Then all of the potential gains that were just sitting there waiting to be taxed go away permanently on the date of first death.
1: Brian, before we keep going, I want to take a moment to invite our listeners to give us a call so that they can request their rooted wealth analysis so that they can potentially discover additional tax strategies that may be able to help them pay less in taxes. If you're listening right now, you want to see what tax minimization strategies might be missing from your plan, then give us a call 833-673-7373 and request your rooted wealth analysis. That number, once again, 833-673-7373. Now, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could be just what you need to help achieve your financial goals. They must have at least $500,000 or more in investable assets to qualify. But those who call and are qualified as a bonus will also be sent Brian's new book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement, at no cost that number one more time, eight three three six seven three seventy three seventy three. That's 833 Brian, people tend to prioritize things and, you know, they spend a lot of time worrying about where they're going to go on vacation or a lot of time worrying about what shoes to buy. But in your experience, how much time do you think that people really put into taking a look at their tax returns or their advisor spends looking at someone's tax return?
2: Well, that's an interesting question because sometimes we think, well, I have—I hear this all the time—I have a CPA and I have a financial advisor. Well, why do I need anything more? I've got, I've got everything I need, right? I'm like, well, okay, let me ask you a question. I and, and you know, we bring that up. I most people spend more time picking out shoes in their lifetime than they do looking at their financial plan, right? And uh, that's not to disparage anybody, but I do want to ask a question: If you have a financial advisor, How much time in the last couple of years, how many minutes have you spent talking to them about tax strategies? And one way to answer that is Did your financial advisor ask you for a copy of your tax return? If they have not looked at your tax return or asked you for a copy of it, the answer to that question would probably be zero, because Well, maybe you talked about it, but maybe you shouldn't be until somebody's looking at your tax return. I will never give tax advice until I've seen their tax situation. I give general advice, but I can't be very specific unless I'm looking at your tax return. So if your financial advisor has not even asked you for a copy of your tax return, you probably have zero time spent by your financial advisor looking for opportunities from your taxes, from a tax standpoint. Conversely, you know, I own a CPA firm and we're available to answer all kinds, do all this kind of stuff, do computations on what if scenarios and all that stuff. But if you're just going someplace and you give them the input and they put the numbers into the right box and say, here's your tax return. We've electronically filed it and here's your bill and here's how much you owe or here's your refund. If that's the end of the conversation, you have not done any tax planning there either. So you could have a CPA and a financial advisor and feel like this stuff's being addressed. But I I think the big question, the one that jumps out, I'm pretty sure if nobody even asked to look at it or sat down to, to analyze it, you haven't had any tax advice given, especially from a financial advisor. Again, they're not necessarily generally licensed to give tax advice, but if they aren't even looking at your tax return, how in the world are they giving any tax advice?
1: So, Brian, it appears that many people are deficient in paying attention to taxes. What does a comprehensive, proactive tax plan really look like?
2: Well, if we've got some, you know, 20, 30 hours, I could really answer that question, Jeff, because <laughs> it, it is deep. There's a lot right, to it. It's right. every form on the tax return. In fact, I'm putting together a, a program to analyze form by form, different lines, what we're looking for. Everybody's situation is different. You know, I, I could throw some basic ones out there. You know, I just talked earlier about the importance of not overstating the value of tax deferral. If you're deferring from a low bracket to a high bracket, that's not so awesome. So the Roth 401k contributions can be a really good thing. Something like when we're, we have kids and so forth and we go out and look at life insurance, well, you can buy a term life insurance policy. It's really cheap and that, that may cover you while the kids are small. Or you can get a permanent life insurance that provides life insurance while the kids are are small and so forth. But if you keep paying on it into your later years, it can provide tax-free cash flow in your retirement. And you don't have to feel like you're wasting your money. You know, it's like, well, I, I like life insurance. I like to know I have it. But once I write that check, that's gone. And so uh, I'm probably not going to die in my 30s and 40s and so forth. So that's just that's just lost money. Well, with a permanent life insurance policy, we can use the increases in market values over time and compound returns and so forth, and take advantage of the tax laws and borrow against our future cash surrender value of that policy in our retirement. And when we do that, it's income tax free. When we pass away, money goes to our heirs. That's income tax free. And there's no income tax paid on all those gains. So that's another example. Another one might be Roth conversions. A lot of people get all weirded out about, it. well I, I don't want to take any money out of my retirement account until I have to when I have my required minimum distributions. And I'm like, hmm, let's think about that. You're going to have your 60s and early 70s suffer cash flow wise so that you can put it off, but maybe it makes sense to start pulling money out of your retirement accounts early. And like, wait a second, I'm not required to exactly. If you pull money out of your retirement accounts early, I'm talking to your you know after age 59 and a half, and before age 74 for your So that's a big span of years here we're talking about. So pay attention if you're in that. Very often, my lowest tax bracket years may be in there. They're after I stopped working and before I started my Social Security and my annuities and maybe even a pension or something like that. I'm in a low bracket. What a great time to consider doing a Roth conversion and volunteer tax money at a low bracket in exchange for never having to pay income tax on that in the future and then not waiting until you're required to take it out of your retirement accounts and find that, oh my gosh, I was successful, but I just doubled my bracket because I'm in a higher, much higher marginal tax bracket. Oh, And then somebody got elected and it it got increased again. And now, you know, you can see where I'm going with this, that proper tax planning also involves knowing year by year kind of where you're going to be relative to your marginal tax bracket and taking those steps to maximize that on a long-term basis. It's not a one-year look at, it's a multiple-year look through. So, you know, answer your question, I guess I just did. What does comprehensive tax planning look like to me? That's a multi-year look with more granular year-by-year action and analysis and decisions and and moving in the right direction so that it provides the best savings for a long period of time, not just, hey, I got a deduction now and it feels good today, but in a couple of years, and not going to feel good at all because I got to give it back at twice the rate. Okay, that's not tax planning. You know, what I'm talking about is looking at many years at once.
1: Brian, many people listening to the program are thinking, well, I've got a CPA, they take care of that. But CPAs really look at what happened in the past. But advisors look at what could happen in the future. Can you talk about that disconnect a little bit?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things there. Most CPAs are not hired to look into the future. That's a separate engagement. They're hired to do a tax return. Again, looking at the past. So they do the tax returns to get them right. I hear that too, Jeff, all the time. It's like, well, my CPA has got all this. They're yeah. handling all that. Well, they aren't engaged to handle all of that. They're not engaged to do your financial plan, your retirement plan. That is not what their role is. Most CPAs are hired for the compliance of preparing a accurate tax return. That is not planning and that is not product placement. Now you mentioned most advisors are are looking at the future and and so forth. And that may be, but most advisors that I know are focused on product sales. And if anybody listening has ever gone to hear a pitch from a financial advisor, insurance person, uh, product gets brought up pretty often and pretty quickly before planning. And so there is a huge disconnect. Who is doing the forward-looking plan, the comprehensive tax plan, cash flow plan, security, liquidity, and so forth, growth plan, all those things, who's looking at all of that? Well, that may be void. You may not have that. And so what I find interesting working with, you know as a national coach to advisors, if I talk to these advisors, You know, I already asked the question, you know, how much time you spent with your advisor talking tax planning? If they haven't looked at your return, well, that'd be likely zero. How many times, Mr. Advisor, have you called the CPA to discuss your mutual client's situation, tax planning opportunities? Generally, that is also that magic number, zero, zero times. Why not? Well, there's something in our industry that I find kind of interesting that I haven't talked about ever on the show before. It's ego. Our industry can have incredible egos, whether that's the advisor or the CPA, whatever, and they don't want to look stupid in front of their client. So the advisor is not calling the CPA because they're worried the CPA is going to know stuff they don't know and they don't want to talk about that. Conversely, the CPA does not know product. That's not what they're trained in. That's not what they're licensed in. That's not where they're experienced in and the advisor is focused on product. And so they don't want to look dumb in front of their clients. So I rarely see the advisor and the CPA and the client on the same phone call. It happens, you know, it happens at our firm, of course, but you know that can be a disconnect. Now, I did want to point one thing out here. I'm not trying to disparage advisors or CPAs, that, that kind of thing. We work well with your CPA. If you come to us, and I've had this brought up a lot, they're saying, well, I want to work with you guys, but I love my CPA and I didn't want to switch, so I didn't call you. I'm like, whoa, back this up here. We don't need to do your taxes to do your financial planning and and have a forward-looking approach with tax strategies. We don't want that return. We want you to stay with your CPA. If you have a good CPA, they're hard to find right now. There's a shortage of CPAs right now. They're not coming out of college the way they used to. There's not as many. If you have a good CPA, keep your CPA. We work well with your CPA because we talk tax also, that foreign language called tax code. Mm -hmm. We we speak that (laughs) quite well. That's my second language. And so we would be very happy to work with your CPA. We're not gonna ask you for your CPA business. In fact, I insist that you stay with that because I like the idea of having two like-minded professionals working to your benefit. Whereas right now you may not be getting that, but I'm not afraid to call a CPA or my staff or whoever and discuss your situation to come up with a better solution. So I wanna encourage even CPAs out there, if you're worried about, oh, if my client goes to drone, I'm gonna lose a client. No, no, we're going to just about insist that they stay with you if they like working with you, which they obviously do. They've been doing it. And we want to work with you and have an open discussion about how best to solve the tax planning opportunities that our mutual client has in front of us.
1: Brian, great information for all those people who are listening to us and want to discover how comprehensive tax planning could help them pay less in taxes. I want you to listen up because this is for you. I want you to dial 833-673-7373 right now and request a rooted wealth analysis at no cost. You must have at least $500,000 or more of investable assets to qualify, but when you call, you're going to get a friendly voice on the other end of the line who will gather some basic information so that your local trusted Madrona advisor from Madrona Financial and CPA We'll be able to call you back early next week. This analysis is an open conversation intended to help you to uncover financial blind spots or what we like to call shallow roots and help you discover potential strategies that may be able to help you keep more of your hard-earned money. Remember, even the mightiest of trees can fall if the roots aren't deep enough. That's why the Rooted Wealth Analysis is so very important. We can help you grow deep financial roots so that you're better prepared for future financial storms. And as a bonus, qualified callers will also also receive Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement, at no cost. So call Madrona Financial and CPAs right now and request your Rooted Wealth Analysis. That number again, 833-673-7373. That's 833-673-7373. Remember, one call, could make all the difference. Brian, speaking of time, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. Don't miss the show by subscribing to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, for Brian, I'm Jeff Shade. Stay well
0: rooted. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Financial Services LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.
1: DST investments are only available to accredited investors and offered solely through the issuer's offering documents. The DST sponsor determines whether to accept any individual subscription documents. Madrona Financial and CPAs is a registered trade name used singly and collectively for the affiliated entities Madrona Financial Services, LLC, Madrona, and Bauer Evans, Inc. PC, Bauer Evans. Investment advisory services are provided through Madrona. CPA services are provided through Bauer Evans.